Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come Follow Me. I'm your host Matthew Roberts and this is series 2 episode 248 of this daily study podcast. Thank you again for joining us as we continue through our study of August the 31st to September the 6th, Helaman chapters 13 to 16, Glad Tidings of Great Joy. And today we're going to finish off our study of chapter 14 and move into 15 with again a focus on repentance and also about how signs and wonders can strengthen the faith of those who do not harden their hearts. So Samuel continues in verse 13 and says, If you will believe on his name, you will repent of your sins, that thereby you may have a remission of them through his merits. And there's a really wonderful, powerful teaching here that if we believe in Christ, we'll repent of our sins. It's an if-then promise. Jennifer C. Lane says, quote, The most basic expression of what faith produces is found in the teachings of Samuel the Lamanite. Samuel explains that if we, will, if we have faith, then we will repent. The two are inseparable. This if-then relationship also makes clear that if we do not repent, it is because we do not have faith in Christ. We do not believe on his name. Our choice to believe on the atonement of Christ gives us the desire to change, that thereby ye may have a remission of them through his merits. Faith in Christ produces repentance. Close quote. It is a natural progression. It is a natural occurrence that if we have true faith in Christ, we will want to change and do better. And so we will try and make those changes in our lives that we need to. In verse 17, um, um, we see that Christ is integral to all this, as we know. Um, but this is why Samuel is prophesying of his birth. He's trying to get across the importance that this event is uh, has. In verse 17, it says, But behold, the resurrection of Christ redeemeth mankind, yea, even all mankind, and bringeth them back into the presence of the Lord. Um, Elder D. Dot Christopherson said this about the role of death in Heavenly Father's plan and the role of the Saviour in overcoming death. He said, quote, we see the role of death in our Heavenly Father's plan, but that plan would become void without some way to overcome death in the end, both physical and spiritual. Thus a Redeemer, the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, suffered and died to atone for Adam and Eve's transgression, thereby providing resurrection and immortality for all. And since none of us will have been perfectly and consistently obedient to the gospel law, his atonement also redeems us from our own sins on condition of repentance. With the Saviour's atoning grace, providing forgiveness of sins and sanctification of the soul, we can be spiritually born again and reconciled to God. Our spiritual death, our separation from God, will end. Close quote. And this is in fact why it is such glad tidings of great joy. This is why Samuel was... You know, we don't really get a sense of his emotion, really, of what he... Or, or, well, we don't get a sense of when he finds out or it is revealed to him that the Saviour will be born in five years, whether it is on the wall as he is speaking or whether, whether it is before he gets on the wall. We don't really know. Um, and we also don't get a sense of his emotion. We don't, you know, we're not told that he felt this news and he felt great joy or he felt anticipation or whatever. But I can only imagine it was great joy for him. Clearly, from what he's teaching, he knows the importance of the Saviour. And so this is why it's so important to him that he wants to share this message of the Saviour's birth and why that is so relevant and important. Uh, he continues on to encourage him to repent. And in verse 25, we get the phrase of the graves being opened and, and, and yielding up their dead. Now, this is what the Saviour will, in a number of chapters later, 
uh, identify was missing from the Nephite records of Samuel's uh, teachings. So we don't know if all of Samuel's teachings were not there or if it was just this teaching about the resurrection, uh, but it is there now. And so we know that's because the Saviour encouraged the Nephites to keep true records and accurate records, something again, which we can um, be, we can learn a lesson from is, you know, those spiritual promptings in our lives that we have, we need to record them so we can go back to them. In verse 28, uh, it says, And the angel said unto me that many shall see greater things than these, to the intent that, that they might believe that these signs and these wonders shall come to pass upon all the face of the land, to the intent that there should be no cause for unbelief among the children of men. So there is a clear message here that these signs and wonders are for a purpose. They are to cause belief. Um, but again, we know that, that signs don't convert. These people have to have tried to have some sort of faith beforehand. Um, John W. Welch had talked about the importance of evidence and assurance and faith, which we've talked about before in this um, podcast. John W. Welch said, quote, Elder John A. Whitsoe taught that evidence can remove honest doubts and give assurances that build faith. After proper inquiries using all the powers at our command, he said, the weight of evidence is on one side or the other. Doubt is removed. Doubt of the right kind, that is, honest questioning, leads to faith and opens the door to truth. For where there is doubt, faith cannot thrive. Elder Joseph Fielding Smith likewise affirmed that evidence, as convincing as in any court in the land, proves beyond the possibility of doubt that Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery spoke the truth. Close quote. This evidence is important and it helps us to remove doubt from our faith. However, if we are not trying to remove doubt from our faith, then we're not going to remove doubt from our faith. Um, and it, it's an unfortunate thing that those that don't have faith or who refuse to believe will not see the evidence as evidence of belief or faith. They will explain it away. And, you know, and that's why we know that signs don't convert. Signs help remove doubt from the faithful. Uh, in verse 31, uh, Samuel um, says about how we all have this choice, though. You know, we all have a choice between life and death, uh, between good and evil. Uh, and we have agency to choose between good and evil and have good restored to us or evil restored to us. And I want to share this quote from uh, Elder Prusar McConkie, who talks about the things that we need to have to have agency. Um, he says, quote, agency is the ability and freedom to choose good or evil. It is an eternal principle. Uh, four great principles must be in force if there is to be agency. One, laws must exist. Laws ordained by an omnipotent power. Laws which can be obeyed or disobeyed. Two, opposites must exist. Good and evil, virtue and vice, right and wrong. That is, there must be an opposition. One force pulling one way and another pulling the other. Three, a knowledge of good and evil must be had by those who are to enjoy the agency that is. They must know the difference between the opposites. And four, an unfettered power of choice must prevail. Close quote. Now, this is why these aspects are so important. We know there must be laws and people, you know, may argue and rail against commandments and say they are restricting, they are inhibiting but actually, it, they have to be there if we are to have choice. If there were no commandments, there would not be true choice um, because there wouldn't be things to choose between. And then there must be opposites between these choices, whether we choose to, to live righteously or not, whether we live to live, choose to live the word of wisdom or, live, or choose to live the law of chastity fully or anything. 
Opposites must be in place if we are to have a choice between them. A knowledge of good and evil, so we need to know about these choices, and then this power of choice must be there. And that is why, you know, Satan works so hard at all of these four principles to make them not true. He tries to convince people that there is no law, there is no God, there is no purpose to, to you know, there, are, there is no great meaning behind life. So there is no, you know, law that keep, eternal laws that keep us bound. He tries to say that God doesn't exist. He tries to say that he doesn't exist so that there are no opposites. He tries to remove knowledge of Christ from the land. He tries to, you know, keep us from having this knowledge. And finally, he tries to remove our choice. And that was really his whole plan in the first place, to remove our agency. Uh, and you think about all the things which um, happen or happen to us if we go and choose the things that we that are wrong, we start to lose some of our agency, uh, whether that be through addiction or whether that be through having to, you know, lose certain things because we've made certain choices. Um, his whole plan is to remove our agency. Now, I just want to quickly finish uh, with a little thought about love, the love of God. Um, Samuel the Lamanite in Helaman 15, verse 3, talks about how, again, the Nephites need to repent. Um, and the Lord has has loved them. And he's also chastened them because he loves them. Uh, President Russell M. Nelson talked about the love of God. And he says this, quote, Understanding that divine love and blessings are not truly unconditional can defend us against common fallacies such as, since God's love is unconditional, he will love me regardless, or since God is love, he will love me unconditionally regardless. These arguments are used by Antichrist to woo people into deception. Sadly, some of the people believe Nehor's fallacious and unconditional concepts. In contrast to Nehor's teachings, divine love warns us that wickedness never was happiness. Jesus explains, Come unto me and be, be ye saved, except ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Does this mean the Lord does not love the sinner? Of course not. Divine love is infinite and universal. The Saviour loved both saints and sinners. The Apostle John affirmed, We love him and because, because he loved us first. He first loved us. And Nephi, upon seeing in vision the Lord's mortal ministry, declared, The world, because of their iniquity, shall judge him to be a thing of naught. Wherefore they scourge him, and he suffereth it, and they smite him, and he suffereth it. Yea, they spit upon him, yea, and he suffereth it, because of his loving kindness and his long suffering toward the children of men. We know the expansiveness of the Redeemer's love, because he died that all who might die, that all who might die might live again. Close quote. For this discussion on love being not unconditional but divine, uh, there was a great talk by Elder Dieter Christopherson fairly recently in a general conference um, about divine love, how it isn't unconditional in the sense that we will all receive all the blessings that the Saviour has because he loves all of us no matter what, but we all will receive great blessings from the Saviour because, um, because of his divine love for us. It is perfect love, but there will be um, conditions on the greatest blessings because again, the Lord loves us and he wants us to become the people we are going, we have the potential to be. And those greatest blessings can only come if we reach our potential. And that's why the Saviour invites us to follow him and change. Okay, so I'm going to stop it there. But thank you very much for listening today. Uh, I hope you uh, enjoyed it. And uh, please do join the Facebook group, Church of Jesus Christ Study Session with Come Follow Me. Um, there's always um, things being shared on there. And it'd be great to hear some more of your thoughts. And as always, the email you can email, that's ldsstudysession at gmail.com, ldsstudysession at gmail.com if you would like to join in a future podcast episode yourself. 
Thank you for your time and until we meet again.